To find out more about the series, please visit our website at virgilkaylock.uk. The Strange Tales of Virgil Kaylock Of Ice and Darkness Chapter 3 I was searching the glaciers and rocks of Nananapok even before we left the ship. Could Frankenstein's creature really be alive and hiding in these barren and icy wastes? The Axel Valborg progressed slowly as it hugged the ice shelf, looking for a safe place to deposit us. The island was a thick disk of ice. Sheer cliffs of white and blue, some fifty feet high, towered above the ship, the summer meltwater cascading through crevices and plunging into the ocean. Across the frozen ground, a few miles away at the centre of the island, rose a mountain of ragged black rock, broken and tortured by the endless freezing and thawing of millennia. Our small company made its way by rope ladder onto the frozen island, and our supplies and sledges were lowered down to us. In the half hour that it took us to prepare ourselves, the Axel Valborg and its pounding engines had faded away, and the sounds of solitude had taken its place. But this land was not silent. The ice groaned and shuddered beneath our feet and cracked like cannon fire from afar. And when all else was quiet, the sounds of our own breathing announced our unwanted presence in this frozen kingdom. It was midday, but the sun was just above the horizon. Soon it would disappear for the winter, leaving this frozen world in perpetual night. It would not rise again until spring. The ship will return for us in four days. If we are not here, it will go without us and there will be no ships passing until the seas thaw. That's more than six months' time. Mr. Kaylock, please watch where you are going. The ice can be treacherous. It may look firm enough, but remember this is ice, not land. There may be crevasses beneath. Let's go! Pull! We spoke little, each of us straining to pull the heavy sledges and all the while scanning the land around us for movement. Lennox, Olsen and Agatha each had a rifle across their shoulders. I carried a handgun given to me by Jorgen. It felt warm and heavy inside my clothes. The way was hard going. The sledges frequently jammed to a halt and needed to be maneuvered over obstacles, and headway would have been quite impossible without Jorgen and his Herculean strength. After three hours of slow progress, we left the ice and headed inland over black rock and scree. Soon the hut was in view. We stood for some minutes, panting and surveying a vulnerable little wooden cabin with a bare flagpole sitting below the mountain. Wait here. Jürgen? Yeah. Dr. Lennox and Jorgen gripped their rifles and scrabbled down a small escarpment to the hut below. He looks well enough now, doesn't he? Yes. Yes, he does. He's in his element. Agatha held her rifle in front of her and released the catch. Have you used one before? Yes. Have you? They're waving. It's safe. We can go down. 
The hut was as simple a structure as it was possible to build. A pitched roof, two windows on each side, and a door at one end. The interior, however, was a different story. It had been the home of seven men for a year. There were beds, a kitchen, and a living area. There were books, maps, and ropes, a large table strewn with plates, and a stove with coal and wood in piles waiting to be lit. Pictures and maps covered the walls, and a row of stiff, frozen socks hung from the rafters. They made themselves comfortable in here. There's a Royal Dalton teapot. Look at this! <laughs> Jorgen lifted a bowl of frozen soup by the spoon and held it comically over his head. I think the soup has gone cold. <laughs> you want some? Quite a library, Wordsworth. Kipling, Coleridge. There's a card game here, look. And a gramophone. This is the Marie Celeste, I think. Well, there's plenty of food and fuel. But no boots or skis and no guns. There's no sign of fighting. They must have left together and suddenly. Dr. Lennox looked out the window, tilting his neck to study the height of the mountain. If we find alcohol, we destroy it. I mean it. Father, hmm? it's what we agreed. Yes, yes, of course. Well, we must get the fire lit. It'll take some time to warm this place up. But the smoke, won't that tell it? Won't that tell him that we're here? I think he probably already knows. He sees us before we see him. I will be the guard outside. Thank you, Jürgen. But tell me when there is some food, yeah? As the room warmed up, the frost crystals that covered every surface began to melt. The roof dripped and the smells of habitation awoke. Cigar smoke and damp laundry. We chose our beds, made coffee and prepared dinner, moving around each other in silence, each of us listening to the reassuring sound of Jorgen's tuneless whistling and the sound of his boots on the gravel outside. The kerosene lamps brightened the room, banishing the sickly pale light beyond the windows. A little wooden house floating in a lonely, frozen twilight that covered the world for thousands of miles in every direction. Shall we eat? I volunteered for guard duty while the others ate. I walked in circles about the hut and stamped my feet to stay warm. I practiced removing my gloves and finding my gun as quick as I was able, all the while peering hard into the misty twilight and scouring the landscape for movement. The dark and silent mountain looked ominously back at me. My face grew numb and the cold permeated my clothes and I felt a blessed relief to be called back inside and pass the watch to Agatha. Are you sure? I mean, you're all right out here, alone. Quite all right, thank you. My gun's bigger than yours. The hut was glowing and warm, and I settled down in front of the stove to eat my food and nurse some feeling back into my feet. Oh, my God, that's welcome. Thanks. Don't warm the hands too fast. Slowly, slowly. Uh. Right. Thanks. It may be minus 16 degrees out there. Jürgen, let's have some music. Put something on the gramophone. Yeah, good idea. Hungry? It's beef stew. At least that's what we think it is. The label's come off. You all right? Yes, thanks. Oh, an hour felt like five out there. We'll go two hours each through the night. And then tomorrow... What do we do tomorrow? Tomorrow we go hunting. Right. Dr Lennox pulled a half bottle of whiskey from his pocket and winked at me before taking a swig. You want biscuit? They are not so nice. <laughs> Thanks. Yes, 
Why not? They got damp, I think. Excuse me, but how do you know? Know what? That it's out there, the monster. Seven men disappeared without trace. Yes, of course, but there are other explanations. And what would they be? Some sort of accident? Two or three men, perhaps, but seven? Look around you. They were enjoying a quiet night in around the stove. Something induced them all to leave quickly with their guns. A bear? It's possible, but no bear has killed seven men with guns that I've heard of. Jürgen? No, not a bear. What an accident, then. The man got into trouble and they all went to find him and had an accident of their own. Perhaps they went mad. All of them. Some group insanity thing. That's possible. It's possible, yes. Besides, how long has the creature been out here? Decades. It would be dead by now, surely. The thing is not living, not in the sense we understand it. It is death itself, revivified. Look, I'm sorry that you're here, but you would not be dissuaded. This is not your fight. You should have stayed aboard the ship. Four guns are better than three, I'd have thought. Certainly, but then seven are better than four. Listen, Kaylock, I've been seeking this devil all my life. It's here. I can feel it. I've never been more sure of anything. Why not just leave it alone? So, I think I will go to bed now. Good night. Oh, good night, Jürgen. Dr. Lennox took another swig from his concealed bottle. What do you want to do with your life, Mr. Kaylock? Well, I... No, don't tell me. I'll tell you. You want a few youthful adventures. You want an interesting but secure job. You want a wife and children to live a comfortable life and die in peace, surrounded by your large and loving family. Excuse me, but you don't know anything about me, Dr. Lennox. My name is Frankenstein. Dr. Benjamin Frankenstein. It is a name I can repeat nowhere, but out here where there is no one to hear it. Frankenstein. The name itself is a curse. My father, Victor Frankenstein, brought a stain upon his family that cannot be washed away until the issue of his sin is destroyed. That monstrosity is my brother. Do you understand? A brother born of death and decay, of hate and evil, but we were both spawned by the same man. We are bound together. He is my burden. I have spent 40 years searching these cold and empty lands to finish what my father could not. I have lived with a single intent to find the tormented creature and to destroy it, to erase it from God's creation. Beyond that obligation, I have no expectations at all. My life is of little consequence. And what about Agatha? Now that you are here, Mr. Kaylock, you can be of great service to me. I ask you, I humbly ask you, keep her safe. Protect her. When the time comes, I will call for your help in this. I would be most grateful. I must ask you, Doctor, why is she here at all? She is a Frankenstein, the last in the line. It's her curse too. Where else would she be? Get some sleep. Tomorrow we search the island. Sleep did not come easily, and though the fire was kept burning, the night was damp, cold and uncomfortable. The bed upon which I lay belonged to a dead man. When I finally drifted off, I did not find peace. 
I was back in the town square, a supplicant to the lifeless prince on his throne, and the ceaseless thudding. Thud, thud, thud. Mr. Kaylock, wakey, wakey. It is your turn to guard us. And then I was back outside again on watch. After a breakfast of eggs and spam, we suited up and headed out, carrying our guns along with spikes and snowshoes for all terrains. We will journey around the mountain. It will take all day. Keep moving. Keep your weapons at hand. Look to the mountain. That's where he'll be. The sun was low in the sky and never rose more than a few inches above the horizon. My body sweated and froze by turns. My boots and trousers chafed. My face was stiff and expressionless with cold. We made our way over ice and through fields of snow up to our knees and over the broken rock that littered the base of the mountain. There was no sign of anything or anybody, no tracks or evidence of habitation, and there was no trace of the seven missing men. There was rock, snow and ice, and that was all. To my eyes, there was no possibility that any creature could live in this bleak and desolate place. By the time we returned to the hut, the world was cast in a pale and shadowless light. The sun was sitting on the horizon and preparing to leave for the winter. Though exhausted, we lit the stove, dried our clothes, cooked a meal, and began the watch duties for another night. I'll go first. Keep warm. See you shortly. Good luck. Thank you, Doctor. You want more? You must eat. Thanks, that's more than enough for me. Eat more? Look at the seal. Look at the walrus. They eat all they can. Lots of fat. It's the coal in the engine. Agatha? Not for me, that's enough. Do you know how to clean a gun, Kaylock? No, actually. Look, I'll show you. Are you relieved or disappointed? By what? Well, there's nothing out there today. I can't imagine anything living out there for long. We'll try again tomorrow. What do you know of the creature? Is there any real evidence that it exists at all? You're here to find out why seven men disappeared without a trace. I think you should keep an open mind. Yes, I suppose so. Do you believe it's here? My father believes it. If it is not here, his life will have been a failure. He's old now. This is the last time. He will not come back to the Arctic again. Let him have this. It's all he has. The next day was the same routine. We circumnavigated the island in the reverse direction and found nothing but our own footprints in the snow. At the end of the third day, we were exhausted. The weather which had been kind was beginning to turn. The exertion and lack of sleep was taking its toll. Dr Lennox seemed to have retreated into himself and spoke little. Only Jorgen seemed to be in good temper. Some music for the holiday! Who will dance with me? Agatha! No, no chance. You can dance on your own. Yes, you will. Come, come! I won't! You will! Come! Like this! Oh, for pity's sake, must oh, I? Oh, yes! <laughs> Our regular turns at guard duty had become somewhat erratic, and as the bitter winds were rising, we were, for once, all together in the cabin. After all, 
Our time was almost up. Dance, Mr. Kaylor! No, no, really. You go ahead. I'm reading. (laughs) I can do it. So can you. No, no, I won't, thank you. I have two left feet. I'll stay well clear. You are lucky you have two feet. I have one and a half! (laughs) Tomorrow I'm going up the mountain. Father, no. Jagger and I will go in the morning. I want you two to stay here. I'm not staying here. There's not enough time. The boat... You will have guns. Keep the door locked. You will keep each other safe. We all stay together. We agreed. Agatha. It's what we agreed. That mountain will kill you. You know that better than anyone. Here, take the key. Lock the door. If we do not return by morning, make your way to the ship. Those rocks are lethal. You can't do it. Jorgen, I'm right, aren't I? Jorgen. Jorgen did not answer. He had his face pressed to the window, wiping his condensed breath from the glass. Jorgen, tell him! Jorgen! I can see something. What is it? We rushed to the window to look. Where? I can't see anything. Where? There. You'll see the pile of stones. Dr. Lennox raised his binoculars to the glass. My God. It's a hand. What? The small cairn was about a hundred yards from the hut. None of us had noticed it before. A simple pile of stones of the type commonly left by travellers in these parts. From the top of the cairn protruded an arm and a hand, raised as in a greeting or a salute. Come on! We approached the cairn slowly, clutching our weapons and looking around us for any signs of movement. My God! The hand was dry, stiff and blackened with frostbite, giving it the appearance of a claw. Take off the stones. Careful. 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 Let me do it. Stand back. There is blood on his coat. Who would do a thing like this? It's a grave. When the ground is too hard, this is the only way to bury the dead. That's how it's done. If it was a grave, they wouldn't leave his arm out of it. How did he die? Let's get these stones off and we'll have a better idea. Gently. Gently. As the cairn was dismantled, a head emerged with short brown hair and a face blackened by frostbite. The cold, dry air had opened his eyes, and his thin, cracked lips had receded, revealing his clenched teeth. With his raised hand and his grimace, he appeared to be smiling and waving directly towards the cabin. My God, it's... I think it's Meeks. Joseph Meeks! It's Joseph Meeks! Any sign of injury? Let's get him out of there. Jesus! Suddenly, the body tipped forward, and a bloody torso lay at our feet. He had been bisected at the waist. The bottom half of his body had gone. His coat was open, revealing the bloody wound cauterized by the cold. My God! Poor man! What happened to him? My mistake. It's not a burial. It's a calling card. I think our elusive friend has just said hello. Music. The gramophone was playing in the hut. We turned as one to stare at the little wooden house sitting upon the expanse of lifeless black rock. The door was open, and the melody was just audible over the gusts of wind. Agatha, wait here. No, we go together. I said, wait here! Jürgen, come with me. Jürgen, the doctor and myself made no attempt at concealment. We walked slowly in a line towards the hut. My mouth was dry, the gun was shaking in my outstretched hand, 
We stood some five yards from the door, ready to fire on anything that moved within. Who's there? Come out! Show yourself! There was no response. Just the music and the cold. Come out! We can talk! No! Jorgen threw himself into the hut ahead of us, his feet thumping on the wooden boards. Jürgen? Jürgen! It's okay. There is no one. The cabin was empty and untouched. There was no sign of an intruder. But we all felt his presence. We circled the hut, our weapons drawn. Nobody spoke, but we all knew it. He was here, somewhere in the fractured rocks that loomed behind us. He was watching us. The doctor walked a few paces towards the mountain. Show yourself! Let me see your face! I know what you are, creature. Know me. I am Frankenstein. Do you hear me? I am Benjamin, the son of Victor von Frankenstein. And know this. I come to destroy you. Do not think that I seek revenge. No, no. I pity you. Aberration. You are an outcast to God and man, and you must die. I will bring you peace, and I know you want this. I will take away your pain, and nothing will remain of you but dust. No pain, no anger, nothing but dust. I will bring you peace. There was no reply, just the hissing of the wind in the rocks above us. We waited for some moments, watching the mist moving across the mountain. And then Lennox turned and dashed back into the hut. I followed Agatha to find him frantically stuffing ammunition into his pocket. What are you doing, Father? You're not going up there. Of course I am. You can't do this. Dr. Lennox fixed his daughter with a look, and lifting the bottle of whiskey to his lips, he took a long draught. Yes, yes, I can. You will die. If, if he doesn't kill you, the mountain will. Stay here. Lock and barricade the door. Leave in the morning. The boat will wait for a time. Make sure you're on it. Father, listen. Stop. We will go together. No! Kaylock, I call on you now. Make sure she's safe aboard that boat. Nothing else matters. You gave me your word. Sir, I must... Do it, Kaylock! That's the only reason you're here. Father, no, don't do this. I can't let you go. Agatha stood between the doctor and the door, barring his way. I will not let you go. Agatha, how did you think this would end? Jorgen? Where is he? The mountain! The sun had gone. Outside the hut, the wind had risen, and snow stung my face. Jorgen! 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 You can wait! I'm coming! Stay here! Father, no! Agatha, stop! Let him go! Get off me! No! No! Father! I held her tight as she struggled to free herself. Agatha, stop! Calm down! You have to let him go! Get your hands off me! I cannot! Calm down, please! Calm down! Her anger subsided. She grew quiet in my arms, and her body slumped in despair. 
Her eyes were fixed on the receding figure of her father, even as I helped her back into the hut, where she collapsed, defeated into a chair, her head down, and her hair covering her face. I'm so sorry. Truly I am, but your father loves you. He wants you to be safe. He wants you to live. Yes, I know, I know. This is his fight. He's alone. There's nothing you can do now. You're right. I know, you're right. I give up. You can let me go now. It's over. Right. Good. We must wait here until morning. Your father and Jürgen will return, and we'll get to the boat. But now we wait. All right? I got to stop! In a moment, Eva was on her feet and out of the door, which she slammed and locked behind her. Agatha! Agatha, open the door! Agatha, open the door! I'm sorry, Virgil. Please, don't do this. It's suicide. It's revenge. My father may pity the creature. I do not. All right, all right. We'll go together. We'll go up the mountain together, all right? Just open the door. I'm sorry, Virgil. I can't do that. Sit tight. You have a gun and plenty of ammunition. Stay warm. Stay safe and be at the boat tomorrow. You don't want to miss it. Trust me. Agatha! Goodbye, Virgil. Agatha, no! Why? Because I have no choice. Because I am a Frankenstein! Agatha! Agatha! I threw myself at the door, kicked at it, and tried to break it down, but it held firm. In desperation, I picked up a chair, smashed a window, and crawled out through the broken glass. The sun was gone, the wind was rising, and great grey clouds scudded across the sky. Looking to the mountain, I could see no sign of Agatha or her father. I checked my revolver and headed up after them. The rocks were jagged and sharp. Each step was a perilous enterprise. The wind whipped the snow and ice around me, and I could only see a few yards ahead. But it seemed to me that from somewhere far above, the wind carried the shouts and cries of my companions. Agatha! I found footprints in the snow. A rifle. And there, stuffed between the rocks, a crumpled body, its neck broken and twisted, the blood that trailed from his mouth had already frozen. It was Jorgen Olsen. Jorgen! I had no time to pause. My thoughts were only of Agatha. I had no sense of the way she had taken, but I climbed higher and higher in pursuit. I staggered and fell again and again, and my gloves were cut to pieces on the savage rock and ice. I labored across cliff and precipice, and in a state of exhausted desperation, I climbed, stumbled, and crawled my way up that dreadful mountain. Uh, Agatha! Can you hear me? Agatha! Then, making my way through a gap in the rock, I found myself in a natural corridor, a pathway. The ground was free from debris and sheltered from the worst of the winds, and though steep, I was easily able to make my way, and I climbed higher and higher. It seemed to me that I could hear a thudding sound ahead, a regular, echoing, pulsing, pounding some way above me. Thud, thud, thud. I walked on as if in a trance, as if I was once again walking through the winding streets of the empty city. The path twisted around the mountain and ended abruptly in an area of flat ground. The sheer cliffs towered above me on either side, giving the impression of a courtyard. 
The rock walls were pitted with hollows, rough recesses about a foot across, some containing small fires, and against the walls, three on each side, stood six statues. No, not statues. Even now I catch my breath and feel the horror of that terrible realization. Ice had blurred their features, but they were men, stiff, blackened, and grimacing, the frozen bodies of the missing men standing sentinel as if guarding the way. Thud, thud, thud. Ahead of me gaped the mouth of a huge cavern from which emanated the foul stench of death and decay and the relentless pounding. Thud, thud, thud. I stood transfixed, mesmerized. And then a figure emerged from the blackness. A giant, perhaps eight feet high, wrapped in rope and furs. My God, that face. A jigsaw of flesh, a delirium of corruption and death. And its eyes, dead, empty eyes, devoid of pity or humanity and without a soul. The monstrous creature held a wooden pole or staff which it thrust repeatedly onto the ground. Thud, thud, thud. And there, affixed, impaled on that staff, was the bloodied head of Dr. Benjamin Frankenstein. I turned and ran. In abject fear, I ran. In panic, I hurtled over the rocks and ice, desperate to be off that mountain and far from that horror. In my confusion, I stumbled and pitched over a sheer drop and falling many feet, I landed hard on a ledge below. The last thing I remember as my eyes closed and oblivion engulfed me was that monstrous figure looking down on me from the rocks above. I awoke aboard the Axel Valborg. As my fever abated, the sailors told me that they had found me unconscious but unharmed. I had been bundled in furs and left on the ice where the crew would find me. I will never return to Nunanapok, and I insisted that another venture to that island would be fruitless. When I was able to speak, I told them that we had been attacked by bears, and that I alone had survived. My aversion to disclosing the details of that encounter were put down to the anguish of my ordeal. It all happened many years ago now. But sometimes, at night, I can still hear the sound of that staff pounding on the frozen rock. I no longer question why I was spared the fate of my companions, because in time, I discovered the truth. But what keeps me awake 
is the knowledge that I never saw the dead body of Agatha Frankenstein and the fear that she may have survived. Of Ice and Darkness, Chapter 3. Virgil Kalock was played by Nicholas Bolton. The young Kalock, Daniel Fraser. Dr. Lennox, Andrew Havel. Agatha Lennox, Ellie Piercy. Jorgen Olsen, Fergus O'Donnell. And Dorothy Bell was played by Ellie Turner. The music was composed and performed by Neil Brand. The Strange Tales of Virgil Kaylock are produced by Richard Varman, Martin Malone and John Ram and are supported using lottery funding by the National Lottery through Arts Council England. It is a Kaylock production. To find out more about the series, please visit our website at virgilkaylock.uk.